Dr. Christina Cho, and this is Steam the Podcast, where I get to talk to amazing women and other underrepresented minorities in the fields of science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and the arts, or STEAM, and highlight the brilliant work they do and talk about the ways we can make STEAM truly more inclusive, equitable, and diverse. Today, we're going to talk about something that we all face at some point in our careers, conflict. In any relationship, whether it's between friends, colleagues, your boss, or your employee, conflict is bound to arise. Each person is unique. They have their unique set of expectations, desires, styles of communication, ideas, and beliefs. So sometimes you're going to disagree a little, or maybe a lot. Then there's internal conflict, the fights you have within yourself, self-doubt, imposter syndrome, anxiety, depression, worry, feelings that mentally and physically drain you and prevent you from being your best self. So how do you deal with conflict? How can we manage and resolve conflict in an effective and appropriate way? And what do we do if there's a power imbalance or extremely different styles of communication? What if it feels like there is no way to resolve the conflict? Well, don't fret, my friends, because on the next two episodes, I'll be chatting with two brilliant women who definitely know a thing or two about conflict management. In part one of Conflict Resolution, I'll be chatting with Kelvia Flores, a crisis counselor and assistant chaplain for the Army National Guard. With Kelvia, we'll talk about internal conflict and how we can start taking small steps to bring peace within ourselves. And on the following episode, part two of Conflict Resolution, I'll be talking with Dr. Yunus Yuen, Assistant Professor of Psychiatry in the Child Study Center at Yale School of Medicine, and we'll go over the ways to have difficult conversations and deal with external conflict. But first, I'll be talking with Kelvia Flores. Calvia Flores was born and raised in Puerto Rico and moved stateside in 1990. She is currently serving as a staff sergeant for the U.S. Army National Guard, where she serves as a crisis counselor and assistant chaplain. As a crisis counselor, she advises and helps service members who are experiencing mental health difficulties and works with their family members to help them understand the challenges their loved ones may be experiencing or facing in the military. In addition, she provides much-needed support for loved ones and colleagues in in times of great loss. In addition to being a counselor and chaplain, Kelvia is an award-winning professional dancer, performer, competition judge, and teacher. Super multi-talented. She owns the Viva Dance and Fitness Center for the Arts, where she trains professional dancers and holds and holds classes for people who dance for their health and well-being. Importantly, her studio is a safe space where people from all backgrounds can dance their hearts out, find healing, and build community. Kelvia, it's so great to meet you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, so before we get on to our like main topic of discussion, I just wanted to take a brief moment and ask how you're doing, uh, given that Puerto Rico just got hit by another hurricane. And still, there's I think there's like, several thousands of people who are still without power. Um, do you still have family living there? And how is, if so, like, are they okay? Is everything okay? Oh, well, I appreciate the question. Um, yes, it, uh, it does. Uh, it's, a, it's a flower spot, right? Um, especially because uh, Hurricane Maria was something that I was really um, impacted by personally with my family. Mm-hmm. And um, we did a lot of, uh, as a community, just, helping each other and, and flying back home to uh, help neighbors and all of that. So we did a lot of like self-deployment um, 
missionary type work uh, as a family because that's just what what we do as native Puerto Ricans. We're uh, we, we we operate in form of a village, right? Mm. So it was very important for me to get back home. So to be you know a few years later and not really that far down the road to have something like this happen again. Uh, of course, they, almost like that PTSD kind of uh, mm. impact. You have a lot of people um, just more more emotionally impacted than anything mm. else. Because even the although it wasn't a, a island wide thing like Maria was, um, it it did stir up a lot of feelings in the community. Mm, My family sure. personally did really well this time around, which was mm-hmm. great. Um, I currently have my aunt here visiting from Puerto Rico, so we're okay. excited about having her back and, and mm-hmm. giving her a break from all that because um, she's also a, a nursing director for dialysis oh, wow. for the island. So obviously she was on the ground a lot, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so this time around she gets to, to relax a little bit, take a break. But there, mm-hmm. are, there are certain parts of the island that were heavily impacted. And I think the only difference between... Um, Maria and this is that it wasn't the na- the island completely mm. um, that was ravaged by this one, uh, mm-hmm. but definitely the the impact that it made is just is more psychological, more emotional than I can imagine. Um, yeah, anything else? Yeah. Well, yeah. I just wanted to take some time, and I I really do hope that the power comes back for those people who don't have it, and the recovery faster. Hopefully, this time around, because it isn't the whole island, but still, I I really do hope. Um, the people of Puerto Rico feel a little bit more supported this time and um, hopefully things move faster and um, yeah I just thought we should take a little bit of time to check in and see how you're doing you know I appreciate that no one thing that I've uh, got reaffirmed with these experiences is that the Puerto Rican people are very resilient and it takes a lot more to keep us down than Mm -hmm. a few natural disasters (laughs) we'll find a way to make it find a way to survive (laughs) yeah so you know i mentioned in your intro that you were born and raised in puerto rico but then you came stateside in the 1990s and so you've been stateside for a while but um do you go back often like what what is your relationship with your um, puerto rican family there and what what is your like i guess how do you go back and do you go back and forth at all or do you just stay here mostly well, for sure. Um, it was really important for my mother that I grew up with my heritage at the forefront. Uh, so much so that when I came to this country, I still didn't learn English till nine, although I came here when I was five. Mm. Um, I, I had to struggle through, you know, the, the regular process of someone who just comes into the country and has to learn a new language and adapt. Um, our childhood was very... Um, very sheltered as anyone that, that comes into the country brand new, right? So not allowed to go to anyone's house other than your cousins. <laughs> um, so the the immigrant family experience for sure, for sure. So like <laughs> hanging out and none of that happened unless we were in Puerto Rico. So uh, the way my mom set it up is that uh, we would live here for ten months, and the day after school let out, we already had plane tickets to go to Puerto Rico, and we wouldn't come back until the day before school. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just to build that childhood, um, those childhood memories, the experiences to know what it's like to live in your island. And that came, that went all the way through till I was a teenager. And then when I became an adult, it's just a, an understanding that you live here, but you don't, uh, I hate to be morbid, but it's that you don't die here. You don't, you know, you don't stay here the rest of your life. You still retire back home, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's always this aspiration that you 
we know that, okay, we have a certain time here in the mainland and then we go back home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was always been kind of at the forefront. But yeah, I totally, I, I totally relate to the whole like you can't go anywhere except to your cousins. <laughs> like when I remember growing yeah. up, um, you know, I would watch all these like Hollywood movies about sleepovers and and like go away camp, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna do that. And there's like, no, <laughs> no, doesn't that happen? <laughs> I remember I would go to like those like little girl parties, and my mom would be like, when it's time for sleep, you call me, and I pick you up. And I so badly wanted to do do a sleepover. It's just so I can be like every other kid. It's just like, no, never. That will never happen. Right. (laughs) They can sleep at our house. That's what my mom said. They can come to our house, but you cannot sleep there. I'm like, all right. That's exactly how it was. That's fine. So... (laughs) Ah, The sheltered immigrant life. But anyways, so... um, Calvia, you are clearly, as I said earlier, multi-talented, but let's start with what or who inspired you to become a crisis counselor? Like, how did you get down that path of being this very important person in a lot of people's lives? Yeah, it's funny you say that. I, I, I guess when you're in the, in the field, you don't really feel like you're this important person in people's lives. <laughs> like, you don't have that at the forefront, but... Um, but yeah, what we do is really important and it matters a lot to a lot of people. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, what inspired me a lot was my mother and my mother had her PhD in crisis counseling and Christian counseling. Um, we, uh, grew up, um, as you know, your, your typical immigrant family. However, she always was really big on you pay your blessings forward. So Mm -hmm. from the time I was 15, I was volunteering at a community center um, in our, in Bridgeport, Connecticut called the South End Community Center. And I would be a counselor for kids for the, you know, younger grade school kids coming in. And these are inner city kids who are dealing with, uh, parents who were drug addicts who, mm-hmm. um, or, or weren't around, weren't present, that they were in the system. And, um, and I learned really early on what it meant to hold space for someone. Mm-hmm. And, um, sometimes being just present is, is enough, you know, just to be there to hold them, to to let them know to keep pushing forward. So I got those, my training really early. Uh, we worked closely with Save the Children. Um, I got to be one of the um, city uh, teenage representatives for the city where I went to Washington, D.C., did conferences, met, met with state senators to talk about in, issues impacting our communities mm-hmm. and the resources that we needed as, as teenagers wow. to help our um, adolescents, like our younger yeah. generation. So it was constantly like that was, that was a lot of what we did. Uh, so that really um, kind of molded me, you know, from a really early age to serve. And then we did a lot of um, building Spanish-speaking speaking churches in, mm-hmm. in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. So uh, we would drive all over Connecticut. My mom would get mission assignments, like missionary assignments to build a Spanish-speaking church until we can get a pastor to come in. Um, this was like in Winstead and Torrington where there was all of a sudden a Spanish-speaking community building up for the first time in a, mm-hmm. in a very long time there. And um, some parent churches um, realized that they needed to... Uh, bring someone in a Spanish speaker to be able to minister to the Spanish community and kind of create a little bit more unity and provide resources for them. So my mother handled the um, adults and then I would work with the children. 
Wow. And, uh, and yeah, we would do those kind of events together and every Sunday and weekday events. Um, so that's kind of where I got my, my start. And that's, and I realized really early on that, um, mind that we are very much mind, body, spirit mm. kind of entities. And, uh, when things are out of sync, mm-hmm. uh, when we're more, more body than we are mind, or when mm-hmm. we're more mind than we are spirit, things get really out of whack for mm-hmm. us as humans, just mm-hmm. nature and finding that balance and helping people identify when they're out of sync, um, is very, very important. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's kind of how I got into the ministry and crisis counseling all intertwined. It, it mm. was since my childhood, I was kind of just raised in this field. Wow. That's really interesting. That, I mean, I think this is like a recurring theme. I, the people around us, the people who are the most important in our lives tend to inspire us and encourage us down a path that, you know, of our passions. And so that's really beautiful to hear that your mom inspired you. And that's how you got, you know, you got started since you were a kid. I think like, I mean, in high school, I was definitely, you know, like, uh, like a mini activist, but I don't think I ever went to the Capitol and, <laughs> and like uh, did something um, really effective. I don't. I, I think I did like a, a walk. <laughs> um, that was probably like, the biggest organizing I probably did in high school. But wow, that's so really cool. really funny. In high school, I have a picture that some somehow still surfaces the internet every once in a while. Very embarrassing of me with the '90s style, like slick side and the dark <laughs> lipstick and the jean jacket talking at the conference like, oh. with my hands <laughs> that's awesome though I'm like, oh my god <laughs> I think the people need to understand the youth like young people have ideas and have thoughts and have you know um have things that they can offer to the rest of society and all because people are young doesn't mean that they shouldn't be listened to or that they don't have serious things to say or that 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 they won't make an impact so that's really cool that's very powerful i i hope that you like download that photo and like print it out put it like a huge photo of it somewhere i don't know i think that's really inspiring and cool so so then like okay so that's how you got into crisis counseling how did you become like a dancer i mean those are i feel like those are very different but maybe not um like how did those two worlds collide um all of it was again my childhood being brought up um and so outside of counseling my mother was a um theater arts teacher of course and i was <laughs> Your on mom stage is like superwoman right <laughs> yeah yeah so i was on stage since i was a kid and then the first thing she did when we came to this country was get really embedded with the puerto rican parade and mm. spanish um, heritage month stuff for the community. Um, she actually ended up getting, cause she, she's passed on now, but she ended up getting posthumously recognized by the state of Connecticut for her, wow. for her service to Hispanic communities. Cause she did so much. Right. Wow. So I was one of the dancers doing our cultural dances, mm-hmm. <laughs> like constantly doing our cultural dances there. Um, so that's how I got on stage for the first time. And then uh, in high school, I continued that. It just became a passion. It was an outlet Um, Mm. funny thing is that you're never a hero in your own home, right? Mm. My mother could never be a counselor to me. Mm. Uh, there were so many things that I could not speak to her on. And so Mm. many things that, um, even if she had tried, which I'm not even sure I was silly. I don't remember her, but I, I struggled a lot with, um, early on eating disorders, um, Mm. becoming a cutter, I mean, you, you name it. I mean, and depression was in my life from the time I remember like 11 years old was when 
probably I cut for the first time. It was mm. just really just, um, it, it, you know, it goes to say like a lot of us that we're serving the community, serving the community, and we're just never a hero in our own home, you know? Mm. So having all those resources and just feeling completely uh, guilty because here I am as a young advocate, yeah. uh, I'm speaking from a place of I know, not an I empathize, not that I imagine yeah. I know this is what our kids need because I need someone to see me. I need someone to save me, you know, yeah. because I'm trying to hold on to these kids and I'm drowning. Like there was a lot of wow. learning the hard way as a, as a um, caregiver that if you right. don't care for yourself, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you think, but I didn't have the vocabulary. I was really young, so I didn't really understand how to, how to not self-sacrifice while helping other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and neglect my own uh, red flags and, mm-hmm. and you know warning signs. So um, we were do we were busy all the time. We were always yeah. either doing shows or or responding to a crisis call. So there was there was no time for that inner work. So I ended up um, using dance as my voice, wow. like and theater. Theater at first, it was actually mm-hmm. my first passion was theater. So monologues. Um, doing monologues and then dancing it because mm-hmm. sometimes words don't quite capture what you feel. So you need to, to express it in a visual form mm-hmm. and dance saved me. It kept me alive because every time I got close to taking my life, I would create something else and getting wrapped up in creating. And I think that's where my mom helped me the most because okay. uh, she knew that as a counselor, she couldn't reach me. So she would encourage me like crazy for the arts, like find your outlet, find your voice. When you don't have enough to say, she would tell me you need to dance or you need to, you, she would come up and all of a sudden she, out of nowhere, she goes this Sunday, you're doing a monologue at church and you're putting on a skit. And I'm like, mom, I'm not in a place right now. You're doing a skit. You have a lot to say and you're not getting it out. You know? So it was, that was how we would communicate my mom and I would communicate through theater a lot wow that's that's amazing right like I think I mean we'll talk about this a little bit uh, as we get deeper into the episode but you know I think you know there's different types of conflict right there's the conflict that you have externally with others or the outside world but also internal conflict and how you resolve that might look differently from someone else and I'm it's so beautiful to hear that you, you know your mother saw that she can reach you through art and help you through art. And you saw art as, you know, your way of dealing with those internal, um, you know, conflicts and fights within, right? So that's that's really amazing. And I, I we're going to talk more about that, definitely. But that's, wow, that's like really cool that the, the reason what inspired you to go and become a performer was really for your own healing. It wasn't yeah. just like, I'm, you know, this is what people think I should do, but like something I need. That's really there was cool. Nothing about my dance in the beginning that was for anyone else other than me. Mm. It was how I kept myself alive. And wow. that was really, really important for my own survival. That's really cool. I mean, so <laughs> I like would love to be a dancer in my mind, um, but I am like way too self-conscious to like perform or dance in public or in front of a mirror or any of that. I mean, I can dance at home with like my toddler and my husband, you know, to Baby Shark or something like that. But um, <laughs> so like when you talk about performing, I'm like, yeah, I think maybe as a kid, I was like less self-conscious. But now as an adult, I'm like, oh, my God, that sounds well, yeah. And that's so one of the daunting. things that we, we work with a lot at the Academy, right, is that 
you know, your audience is you mm. really, you know, as, as the women, as women, as adults are, we're no longer, you know, just dancing to go on stage. Like some, I teach mostly women where I said, well, okay, well, when you're doing this in your living room for your cat, you need to give it all you got because, you know, Fluffy's looking. <laughs> so we're working on, you know, doing it so much more for ourselves um, mm. and understanding that um, like we can't pour from empty cup, right? Yeah. So, so if it's something that we've always wanted to do, mm-hmm. um, those feelings don't go away. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, I can go into a whole other tangent about that. Yeah. But that, if, you, if it's something you've always wanted to do, those feelings don't go away. Mm-hmm. So you make your you carve your own path according mm-hmm. to your comfort. Not every just everyone that takes a dance class is going to do a recital. Not everyone that takes a dance class mm-hmm. is going to perform for the for the general public. Sometimes it's just for you, you know. Yeah. And and we create that safety environment too in the academy. That's really important to do. Yeah, absolutely. That is really cool. I like that. I like sometimes the audience is you like you are your own audience. That is a really nice quote. I think that can apply to like anything. So um, how do you think that your work as a dancer and a a performer and a dance instructor kind of blend or synergize synergize, uh, with your work as like a therapist and counselor? Like, do you see your art kind of like moving into your world of counseling um, or like an, another way when you're teaching a class, do you find that your like your therapy and your, your therapeutic and your counseling skills are useful when you're teaching dance? Like how do you see those two worlds working um, in either uh, jobs that you have? Always. They're, they're never separated. Okay. Um, the only time where it might be separated is if I'm in the army and I'm not talking to dancers and everything's focused on counseling. Right. But, um, but there's still some other common ground that we come in. We both, we all wear the uniform, you know, there's still that, that thing that connects us and binds us. Right. But um, when it comes to dance, that, that counseling background is vital. Um, I don't think I can remember a time where I was teaching a class, whether it be children or adults where self-acceptance wasn't a topic built into the format that Mm. we're while we're teaching the dance and you can always tell um as you're dancing in as a teacher we're looking in the mirror looking at our students constantly aware of the energy shifts and how people are moving and you can tell when some a woman's looking at themselves and looking at you and and their eyes go down all of a sudden or Mm. their energy goes down and I like we just immediately stop and they're like we're just we're you know we're just like you know we're not here to look like anyone else Mm -hmm. you're here to find the best version of you right Mm. so um we the the instructor is meant to be an example a visual example of what the dance the step could look like for people who are visual learners um, but that is not the only way to execute. Mm. As a matter of fact, that technique on your body can look a million times stronger, mm-hmm. a million times softer. It could bring uh, your body, because we're all unique, we're not all built the same, mm-hmm. brings a certain uniqueness to the dance that's only yours. And in art, in dance, well, as dancers, our superpower is our uniqueness. It's the fact that you look completely different than everyone else, that you, your body language and the way that you, you communicate and express yourself 
is different. Literally cannot, there's no carbon copy of you, even if you were a twin. There's literally no carbon copy of the way you express yourself internally, the way you feel internally, and how that projects out into your body. So that becomes your your superpower. That literally is what attracts the audience is that when someone embraces that, when someone taps into that, when someone knows that that's their strength and their power, it is so healing, not just for themselves, but for everyone in the audience looking at them. Because Mm. you don't see that in this world. You see everyone trying to look like this Instagram model or dance like this, uh, you know, YouTuber. And there's very little room for self-acceptance. Very little room for self-acceptance. And like I mentioned earlier, the mind, body, and spirit being interconnected. Mm -hmm. um, That's so important in dance. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's important for mental health as well. Mm-hmm. We're not meant to be at war within ourselves. Yeah. Mentally, we're not. You know, that's where depression comes from. That's where all these kind of uh, catastrophic thinking comes from, because we're con- when we start having in conflict within ourselves constantly uh, and we don't sh- we we don't do the self work that it takes to find a common ground and peace for all things. Um, it's going to reflect poorly on your dance but it's also going to reflect poorly on your relationships and relationships in general, relationship with yourself, relationship with, with your faith and your creator, relationship with your families, with your friends, with your coworkers, because things are out of sync. Things Mm. are out of balance. Right. Wow. So dance, it's completely in like there dance and, and crisis counseling mesh so well that it's Mm -hmm. um, right now. I, I mean, I've dealt with people, who are um, who are grieving, you know, just yeah. grieving the loss of a parent. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm doing a private lesson. Usually the first five minutes of that lesson is how are you handling things? How are you coping? How was this week? How did you, you know, okay, well, we we're going to dance it out. You know, we have things. And, and because I can talk to people from, you know, also from a place of, you know, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I, I completely get it. And even, and even if I don't um, have those same life experiences, I get what loss feels like. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess I I can understand what it what having your entire norm taken from you from one day to the next, and you having to find a new normal and navigate the world all over again. Um, what that just kind of despairing feeling and, and out of place feeling feels like right mm-hmm. so we've all there these are all human emotions so sometimes we feel like oh we're not qualified to to talk to this person talk to that person well if you're a human you are if you're a human okay. you are because you know what it's like to feel let down you mm-hmm. know what it's like to have your heart broken mm-hmm. so although, although you don't have that kind of loss you still know what loss feels like mm-hmm. so we just know how to be present for each other in that way right yeah that is that is very wow yeah no i it, it, when you talked about, you know, you're not supposed to be at war at yourself, at war with yourself. And when you have that kind of conflict, it projects in so many different ways. So you have to work on, you know, that interpersonal, you know, internal conflict. And um, it's, and how, I, I love what you said right now about how we can do that for each other. Like we, we don't have to necessarily be like a therapist or you know have years of experience but we have our lived experiences we have shared emotions and we can connect that way and so you know i hope our listeners are hearing this and that you know um seeking help doesn't have to always be 
if you feel uncomfortable with a professional. You can talk to your peers and your friends who, you know, might have a different experience from you, might not have lived exactly your life, but we do have shared emotions and that's how you build your community and that's how you can build your network and that's how you can deal with some of the conflict that arises in your life is by, you know, sometimes sharing and having like a connection with somebody else because they feel kind of what you're feeling is that's really yeah, beautiful. And I think, and I think that's also why the dance works so well, right? Because artistically mm-hmm. mind, body, spirit, when they're not in alignment, it reflects in your art. When you're dancing, you're not fully connecting with yourself. Mm-hmm. So you're, it's, it's hindering you from connecting with others mm-hmm. you kind of, you know, so it bleeds into your art, but you are now seeing it visually. So then it's different from just dealing with it internally or with a counselor or something like that in a counseling setting it's because now you have a visual representation of it and we say okay where is this coming from mm. you know and, it, and it's, it, you're able to like really connect you know really connect with that uh, yeah, in a different I, way you know <laughs> yeah no, i think that i think that's so when i was in graduate school i was going through a lot of um conflict <laughs> um both internally just like you know a lot of imposter syndrome feeling like i wasn't you know doing as good as everyone else, or like, I'm trying my best, but the product is not as good. And and then there's external conflict, you know, and, and anytime you're in a academic setting, there's, you know, there's hierarchy, there's rules, there's all kinds of stuff going on. So I remember that was when I started really getting into yoga. <laughs> and I remember um, one of the issues that I had in the lab was the ability to be present. Like um, I'm doing an experiment, but I'd be thinking about, oh my God, what if this fails? Like, what if I don't get the result that I want? Okay, then I'm not going to get this and that. And I started, I would be like somewhere else mentally when I'm physically supposed to be working on the experiment at hand. And I remember going to my first Bikram class um, with my instructor, who was actually a drill sergeant for the US military (laughs) as well. Just like, you know, um, and she would say like, be present, like be present in this specific position right now. Like, you know, it's hot in here. It's uncomfortable. That's fine. But if you like focus your energy on just being in this position and just breathe and listen to your breathing and learn to be present in that exact moment, the heat, the humidity, the discomfort you might feel physically, it'll kind of just melt away. And so the funny part was I learned how to do that in the classroom, in the, in the yoga classroom. And then eventually I saw myself using that in the lab. Like I was able to sit there and actually pay attention to what I was doing. And the results were better because, you know, I was physically and mentally and emotionally present in that moment. So, um, you know, when I think about like art, you know, and, and especially like performance art, whether it's dance or like for me, it was, I know yoga is not really a performance art, but it's, it's a movement. Um, I think people might think those are very different worlds, but they're really not because what it does is it really helps you figure out what's going on inside you, within you. So, you know, while you're putting yourself in positions to work through some of those self-acceptance issues, body dysmorphia issues, because now you're dancing and you have to look at yourself in the mirror and accept what your body's producing and, and learn to love that for the first time, because you're all, you know, anything when you're consistent with it, you're going to see progress, right? So you're Mm going to see, Oh, I couldn't do this last month. And now I'm able to do that. And Mm -hmm. maybe let me stick with it another month. And now, Oh, now I'm able to do this. And so it starts changing a little bit of your perception of, 
your appreciation for what your body physically can do mm. outside of getting up and going, taking you to work every morning, you know, yeah. like, um, it, it's able to create something that mm-hmm. you, um, manifested, you know, you mm-hmm. said, I want to, I want to be able to do this and you physically are seeing those results, mm-hmm. but, and then you're, so you're, you're having those kind of internal conversations with yourself on, mm-hmm. okay, well now I'm looking at my body, um, in the mirror, not just for, well, do my clothes fit the way I want, but in my creating what I want. Mm-hmm. And that speaks volumes throughout your life, right? Because then you're looking at yourself, am I creating what I want? So it starts rewiring a little bit in your brain, mm-hmm. the way that body. you yeah. approach your, you know, your body, the way you approach your, your uh, life in general, right? Mm-hmm. And in the process, your brain is pumping out these endorphins that's yeah. going to make you feel good after that one hour session on that mm-hmm. dance floor, right? Even if the first five minutes you just couldn't get out of your head, at some point throughout the dance class, by the time you're done, mm-hmm. you naturally just feel a little bit better just because the way chemically we are wired, mm-hmm. physical movement results in a good, feel good feeling at the end of it, you know? Yeah. So that it works like I mean we keep answering the same question but like yeah. it really really works guys like it really, yeah. really works like dance and and crisis counseling and you know dance for healing yeah works, you know I you know this is something that I I like to tell my my students and mentees is that I know we're all busy with you know just we we're all busy we're all putting our heads down and focused on the work in front of us and that's fine but you need to find something outside of that um for yourself you know whether it's i have a lot of students who actually do love to dance and so i'm like go to the studio go dance like go do yoga go play basketball do something that is different but physical because right. there is that mind body connection and also you know when you challenge yourself in a different way, in a physical way, um, you appreciate the things that you can do. And it's it's very, I don't want to say it's immediate because it's not really immediate, but it's, it's this, um, it, it's, a, it's a different kind of reward. It's a different kind of reward right. and it's really just for you. And a lot of the times those studios are like super um, accepting, loving places uh, mm-hmm. where it's not competitive, which is a little right. different. And in, in STEM fields, there's a lot of competition. I'm sure in art fields, there's also a lot of competition, but um, I think when you're in an environment like your studio, you know, where there's a community and there's love and encouragement, you leave that place you know, with your well a little bit fuller. And so then you can perform better wherever you need to go next for your work or in your relationship. So I'm, yeah. And I think I like what you said too, because I think it's important for people to know what they're looking for. If they're interested in doing dance as a form of healing, um, pick your studio, right? There are competitive art studios that, that their focus is to make professional competitive dancers. Um, that is what they do. Right. Mm-hmm. And what they what they put out at the forefront and stuff like that. Then you have Community Center for the Arts, which is like what I have um, or community centric type of dance studios that are really there for your day to day person that's looking to heal and find a place of belonging. And they spend a lot of time doing community activities within mm-hmm. themselves to um, nurture that bond, nurture that that community feeling mm-hmm. uh, and also, you know, bring in, like we've brought in like music, th- music therapists, we've brought in, you know, life coaches, we've brought mm-hmm. in nutritionists. Like, so you have people who are looking at overall, like a holistic approach to dance. Right. Mm-hmm. And they, there's tons of studios that have that, that same approach. 
know, but it all depends what you're looking for. Cause some people want to go in and want to be like, they, they, how they feel good is that, that, uh, competitors high. Mm-hmm. There's a studio for that. <laughs> you know, there's, yeah. a, you know, there's, there's one, one for everyone. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. So I want to go back to something that we're, we're basically touching on this a lot, but there's basically, you know, I there's like, when I think of conflict, there's basically like two types of conflict. I think of there's the external with someone else from the outside. You're, you're conflicted because maybe, you're not, you know, the situation is not meshing well or, you know, with who you are, what you believe or boundary has been crossed. So that's kind of external. And then there's like the internal conflict, you know, self-doubt, you know, um, comparing myself to maybe somebody else, but things that are internal. So, you know, when you're dealing with two different types of crises, um, as a crisis counselor, what type of advice would you give to someone who's experiencing external conflict versus like internal conflict? Like what is I guess, how do you deal with it? Obviously, you have to deal with it a little differently, but how, like, what is your advice for that? So when it's external versus when it's internal. So when, when it's internal, my biggest thing is stop, stop muting your own voice. Stop, hmm. stop the... Sometimes we feel that being resilient is just pushing on despite how we feel. Hmm. And that's not it. <laughs> it is it does it's not, not just pushing it's not yeah, just like not just brute forcing it like no. when again when we're at war with ourselves no matter how much we're pushing we're we're suppressing and that mm. catches up to you the brain is like a, the the body and the brain we're like uh, computers right there's only about so much that like they could go with without maintenance without mm-hmm. it you know without saying whoa i need this virus address yeah. Right, because no, yeah, it'll keep turning on and stuff until one day, boom, it does. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> and then we're just like, so in, stopping, stop ignoring and muting your own voices in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, I always tell people if you have a desire that has not gone away, then it's not just an idea. And you're like, oh well, you know, I'm just gonna push that away. No, let's address that. Look at that. If there's something you've always wanted to do, that five years later, it's still something you've always wanted to do. You need to go out and give it a try, (laughs) you know, stop being at war with yourself when it comes to that. Um, And you cannot resolve what you don't acknowledge. Mm. So if you're not acknowledging the things that are happening internally with you, things that you're not comfortable with, things that you're not okay with, because you just feel like I have to be superwoman or Superman and I have to push through, it's not going to go away. Mm. Um, So once you acknowledge it, once you, you face it, um, then the other loophole we start going into is that people are like, okay, well, I know that <laughs> I'm going to, you <laughs> know, I know, I, 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 know. I, 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 I know, I know. And it's like, at what point do you want change for yourself? Mm. Uh, if you're in the same emotional state that you were a year ago, two years ago, like I said, it's like a computer, your brain, you are now rewiring your brain to respond to trauma, respond to grief, to this way with suppression or with whatever, you know? So where before, maybe when you were younger, you were a little more open to talking, but because you've been pushing past because you have to carry your family or you have to do this and so much so at your own expense, you're literally rewiring your brain to now process emotion this way because that's Mm -hmm. the only way. Your brain will rewire. So when I experienced my my PTSD, um, the first thing the crisis counselors that I've been working with that I've been working with for so, with soldiers for so many years, 
uh, to help other people looked at me and the, I always remember the look on her face when she looked at me and said, why didn't you come sooner? Mm. You know that you just rewired your brain to operate this way for three years. I said, mm. yes, I know what I just did. Right. And that, that's where we fall into the loophole of, I know. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you go through this where you're constantly pushing and not addressing it, or you're, I know it's an issue, but I need to just push anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, the, what it, the work that's going to take you to undo that is a lot mm-hmm. harder. It's a lot more, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's possible, but it's just going to take more time. Mm-hmm. Um, internal conflict, I think the best way to resolve those things is having that fight for, your, for yourself. The same way you would advocate for your child, the same way you would advocate for your spouse, the same way you would, you would not see a stranger out in the street, you know, beating on themselves, talking down to themselves. You're like, hey, cut yourself a break. The same way you would allow your friend to mm. talk to themselves this way. Start creating boundaries for the way you talk to yourself. Wow. The mm-hmm. things, that, the thoughts that come into your brain, start all of a sudden telling yourself, no, that's not right. Okay. When you look in the mirror and all of a sudden you're like, oh, this, stop. Like literally create a, like a little physical <laughs> stop. Like literally go, no. <laughs> I need to break that pattern, right? And mm-hmm. have that um, that same fight for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can't find it because maybe you you don't have that kind of love for yourself or what have you, um, find something you're you do love and you you're wishing to push for, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody's life connections are very different. Mm-hmm. Some people's life connection isn't the need for surviving for themselves. Mm-hmm. They could they could do without themselves right but they might not be able to do without their dog they might not be able to do without their kid right you know they have different life connections so become self-aware of what are your triggers what are your what are your life connections what are um, your downward like spirals and, and stuff or your patterns mm-hmm. um, and then put things into action you don't have to look at okay I want healing and healing's all the way up here and I'm down here and I and all of this looks so overwhelming just take, do the next right thing for yourself. Every day, mm-hmm. do one thing, just mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. that brings you a step closer to where you want to be. Mm-hmm. So whether it was, you know what, today I woke up and I spent five minutes before I got out the car to go to work. And I just inhaled and exhaled and I spoke to myself. Mm-hmm. I felt, or today I felt anxiety and I didn't ignore it. I said to my anxiety, I see you. I know you're anxious. And then I give it purpose. You're anxious because you want to do a good job because your work ethic is stellar. Mm. And now my anxiety is not a bad thing. It's okay. It's because I, I care. So you, you tell yourself these things and you acknowledge it. The minute you feel that, that depression, the minute you feel that anxiety, the minute you feel whatever that is, you stop, you take three breaths in, three breaths out, you, and you talk to it. You say this to yourself, anxiety, Mm. I see you, depression, Mm -hmm. I see you. I'm not going to ignore you. I know you're there. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Mm -hmm. And then get up and go about your day. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I took one step today to make a difference in my thought process. I took one step and then keep working on it. Keep working Mm -hmm. on it. Look at, you know, whether it be crisis counseling, which is a short-term care, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe you don't necessarily want to commit to a therapist right away or in long-term care, 
Maybe you need someone to help you stop the bleeding for a second and, mm-hmm. and help you organize your thoughts so they can say, okay, well, where are we now? Was that enough? Was mm-hmm. first aid mental health enough for you? Mm-hmm. Um, or do you, do we need like a longer plan to mm-hmm. kind of see you all the way? Or do you have longer goals? Not because there's something wrong with you that you need a longer plan, but you want to keep down this path and you want to get mm-hmm. even stronger. Mm-hmm. Then, you know what, let me set up a referral for you. Let me set you up with a behavioral health specialist. Let me set you mm-hmm. up with, you know, something like that. So that's, that's what I recommend when it comes to mm-hmm. internal conflict. I think that what you said about taking that like little step is so much more manageable than change your whole self. Um, right. And I think I, I've talked to um, friends and mentees about this, especially those who are experiencing like a mental health crisis or people who are feeling kind of like, you know, just like trodden, like downtrodden or just like they want to give up. You know, whether it's, you know, the path that they've, their, their passion, they love it, but they're just so tired because it's so hard. Or, you know, the, they've been dealing with, you know, their own mental health issues for a long time. Um, and they're just overwhelmed. Like, it's such a huge thing. And if, especially if they've been carrying it for years. And, you know, taking that first step seems so scary because it seems like such a huge step. But what you said, it's like, take a breath, just call it what it is, take like a tiny, tiny, tiny step. And that's already in the right direction. And so for our listeners, just take a moment right now, like wherever you are and whatever space that you're in, just, you know, you're doing okay. (laughs) It's going to be okay. And even the tiniest, tiniest little step in the right direction is still the right direction. Right. Mm-hmm. And celebrate yourself in those small accomplishments. Too many times I see people accomplish something and it's like, okay, that was good. And, and but it's not this. Mm. No, stop. Acknowledge that. Enjoy that. You deserve that. Mm-hmm. You, deserve to, you know what? Today, <laughs> today has a good, like you deserve to, to bask in that. That's, that's Yes, absolutely. Yes. I think that's also something that, especially I think, I think this probably pertains to women a lot, but it's like, you know, we forget to praise ourselves when we do something good. Like we, because, you know, I think a lot of times women are told to be like a little bit smaller, a little bit more humble. Like don't, don't be like, I'm awesome. But you know what? You yeah. are awesome. Celebrate your awesomeness every once Listen, in a while. Today you, got, the you got the kids out the house and <laughs> with their, and got everybody there on time. That's a celebration. Get, extra, <laughs> get, get the hot chocolate with whipped cream today. Reward yourselves. Get that whipped cream. Get that hot chocolate. You know, right. go on. For me, it's like if I do a really good job, I'm like, I'm going to go get a massage. Um, I will not hear from anyone for an hour. I just will be by myself. <laughs> Yeah, that is my reward. That. that is my reward when I know I did something good. Um, and I think, for um, me. Be- yeah, and because I think actually we just, um, now that we're talking about um, mental health and, and stuff, I think there's such a stigma with this, right? We feel like that we can't really talk about it because all of a sudden we're not, people are going to know I don't have, I'm not juggling everything properly, right? Mm. When in fact, none of us are. Yeah, no. <laughs> we're all struggling we're everyone struggles <laughs> yeah well, none of us are we're all pretending that we yeah. are but none of us are and some people feel things a little bit deeper than other people and that isn't a weakness mm-hmm. by any means mm-hmm. because you're able to connect so much deeper to the pain of someone else mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and be able to be in the trenches and be there with them and say, you know what? I know. Mm-hmm. And, and here's how I found my light past mm-hmm. that. Right. Mm-hmm. And th- how is that a weakness? How, right. is, how is that something to, to be ashamed of? Mm-hmm. You know, it took me forever to admit that I was cutter. It took me forever. Mm-hmm. You know, it was so much, it was so much stigma around it. And I'm like, then I realized, I'm like, how is it a weakness to be in a place where I was just, I, I know that I feel life differently and I mm-hmm. feel it, uh, I feel things a little bit harder than other people, but mm-hmm. that's why I'm able to love the way I do. That's why I'm able to mm-hmm. do crisis intervention the way that mm-hmm. I do. That's why I'm able to be successful in my field, right? Mm-hmm. So things that were a stigma, all of a sudden it's like, no, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be. Right. So Mm -hmm. give your pain purpose. Your pain already took enough from you. Mm. So now let's put it to work. (laughs) Now let's put it to work. So Yeah. No, I'd like though, this is good. This is this is so empowering and so encouraging. And I think um mental health is something that, you know, people don't we still don't talk about enough. We still don't encourage enough people to get the help that they need. Mental health is like physical health. If your brain starts to go, uh, your body's going to go too. <laughs> it's just, it's about to happen. So yeah, I'm glad that we took some time to kind of talk about the these things. I mean, I, it all kind of intertwines, right? Like mental health is going to affect how you communicate with others. Mental health is going to how you is going to affect how you perform at, at your work or um, whatever it is that you do. So yeah, I think, when you know we just talked about internal conflict and how to deal with it but you know internal conflict is mental health right like you're, you're talking yeah. to yourself you're dealing with yourself so yeah no i'm really glad that we were able to really dive into that and so like now switching gears so what about when there's external conflict so now you're faced with somebody on the outside and there's like a hard wall there like what do you what are your recommendations? I know it might be different depending on sometimes like the power imbalance might be affecting how you might be able to communicate that or, or deal with that conflict. But um, like, what are, what are some basic things people can do when they're facing an external conflict? So the first thing with external conflict is seek, seek to understand, but seek to understand, not just others seek to understand yourself. Okay. What, triggered you about that person's response Uh, where did that trigger stem from interesting are you handling this uh, or responding to this because of their response or because of what their response represents to you okay there's a difference with that because then it's not christine i have a problem with it's what christina triggered in me that i have a problem with Mm, and understanding the difference in that Okay. Right? Okay. Yes. That's yes. a lot for people to process, right? That and is a why lot. It, it's just a lot of work. <laughs> it is a lot of work. I'm like, oh God. Then I have to like look at myself again. I mean, yes, just did the internal conflict the thing. World, to yeah. change the world, you have to change yourself first. Ooh, you that's, a, that's a really, that's a, that's a power quote there. If you want to change the world, you got to change yourself first. If you want love, you have to give some away. If you want trust, you have to learn how to change. Like there's just things like really, if you want things out of the world, you mm-hmm. have to be willing to look at yourself first. Because mm. what are you manifesting? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And what are you projecting onto someone else? Mm-hmm. So first is that that doesn't take away 
the importance of standing by your truth, setting your boundaries or anything like that. But it does take away that finger pointing, fault blaming, and it does give you more of an objective of, okay, I need to be self-aware of all of these things that, because we are all so diverse. We're so, we're so, there's so many layers of me mm. that I'm still not fully understanding of. I'm still learning about myself. And I, the person I am today is going to be completely different than the person I'm going to be five years from now. Right. I'm constantly evolving into something else, right? So this work, internal and external, where it has to be constant. It's habit forming for you mm-hmm. to be successful with mm-hmm. how you're navigating around, right? Mm-hmm. So now, now that you know those things about yourself, um, if you are going to deal with a person-to-person conflict and you've identified those things and you know, you know what? No, it's really this situation I need to address. First, address that in private. Okay. Always address it in private. Um, mm-hmm. People are, feel less threatened that way. You know, also pay attention to your body language. Are you addressing it in private behind your desk with your subordinate in front of you? Or are you pulling your chair in front of your desk and you both, let's sit down, let's have a conversation. You know, because one is more welcoming for the person to speak their truth than the other. Mm-hmm. Right? Your body language, your, your setting. Um, give the other person time to vent. Let them mm-hmm. tell you what they thought about it, what, what triggered them to respond the way they did and mm-hmm. be willing to hear it. Mm-hmm. Don't interrupt. Don't, don't try to rationalize. Don't try. Oh, why you say that? Look at that. I know. No, that's not having a good conversation. Give them the platform mm-hmm. because you're the one that is seeking, you know, to, to find it, to, to, make the situation better right so therefore give them that space Mm -hmm. you you know so now verify that you're also accurately hearing each other is really important right okay um when someone says something to you that you're just not quite sitting well with say you know what christina here's what i'm hearing you say Mm -hmm. you're saying because i did this your response was this am i understanding that properly Mm-hmm. You know, that I made you feel this, that, and the third. Mm-hmm. This does a couple things. It lets the person know that you're fully hearing them. Mm-hmm. It, it establishes respect, right? Mm-hmm. Because now it's not, you tell me your side, I'm going to tell you my side. And it's not that anymore. You've taken mm-hmm. that completely out of the table. And now it's, here's what I just heard you say. Mm-hmm. I made you feel this way and your response was this. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And they could allow them to correct you. And be like, okay, well, now that you say it, like, no, not really. That's not really what I meant. Mm-hmm. You know, that could happen or it could be, yeah, that's exactly what I meant. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and there we go, you know. Um, but sometimes asking the person to, to also rephrase and say, okay, well, I'm having a really hard time wrapping my head around your reasoning for that. Can you try to explain that to me again? Because I really want to know where you're coming from. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, I don't want to believe that, you know, you would intentionally hurt me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, but I'm, that's how I'm starting to feel. So mm-hmm. just let me hear you out again, you know, mm-hmm. and just have that transparency with them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, also acknowledge where you disagree and where you agree okay. right? and, and putting that out on the table. Okay. So it okay. just seems like you and I just don't agree on this. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do agree that we want a good community here. We do mm-hmm. agree that we all want a healthy, balanced workplace. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have something in common. Our our whys are aligned, but our process of getting there isn't. So mm-hmm. how can we, and then that, this is where you discuss 
what can work, you know, what, what, mm-hmm. what compromises on your end, on my end, you know, what my thing is, if you were really having a problem, come pull me aside again. Mm-hmm. You know, don't correct me like that in public. That's not, that's not the right approach for me. Mm-hmm. You know, that's embarrassing or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. um, set those boundaries with people. Um, mm-hmm. And then just, and, and thank them also for working with you on it. Like, listen, I know I, I acknowledge that it took time and energy yeah. for you to sit down and have this conversation with me. And I, I want to thank you for that. Mm. Um, I think confrontation is important. <laughs> and I know it sounds <laughs> bad, right? Because you think confrontation is a fight. Like, oh, I'm going to fight you. No. <laughs> yeah, no, it's facing the, the issue head on. And I, yeah. I'm not going to wait for month three of you ticking me off. Yeah. Me to bring it up. Oh, remember? Because you did the same thing two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> why, did, why didn't you tell me tell me two weeks ago? Now it's shame yeah. on you. Shame on you because you've allowed a pattern of behavior and we have to teach people how to treat us. And that's mm. what happens. We don't teach people how to treat us. We just allow things to happen and then we have the nerve to get mad and offended by the fifth time it happened. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. That is that is a really powerful statement. We have to teach people how to treat us. Um, I think that's that is a very powerful thing to say, and I think that's really also empowering. I think you're right. I think a lot of people the the conflict that happens isn't like instantaneous. A lot of times, it's because there's a buildup. Like something happens, you're like, oh, I didn't really like that, and instead of being like, hey, I didn't really like that, can we? Can we discuss a better way of dealing with whatever this is, whatever the situation is? Um, you go, okay, well, that pissed me off. It's fine, whatever, I'll deal with it later. And then it happens again and again, and eventually it builds up. And by the time you have that confrontation, it's a big blowout because you're like, oh, all that built up energy and anger is all pouring. I mean, I've done it. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, I'm the queen it, of doing it. I know, <laughs> it's like, it's like I'm try, I try, I, I consider myself to be, relatively confrontational as a person. I know everyone who's listening who knows me is like uh, a little bit girl like you are. <laughs> um, I definitely like to deal with um, things immediately and discuss it immediately. But there are definitely situations where I feel like, oh, I'm sure it'll get better. I'm sure it'll be fine. We'll talk about it later. We'll deal with it later. And it gets to a point where that later is already too late, at least emotionally, mentally. So I, I like what you're saying, you have to teach, you have to treat, teach and train people how to treat you instead of just accepting that treatment and then getting upset later for it. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a really, I, I, that's a very, like, I, I print it out and like put it on the wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and mean, that's important even in, in relationships. I mean, we're doing it all the time. We just don't, don't know it. And so therefore we don't execute it as sharply or as, as, often as we we need right Mm. people are trying to love us in different ways right um like our families our friends or whatever they're they're trying to love us sometimes the way they love and the way they communicate is just not reaching us the people all get a different version of us some get the co-worker Mm -hmm. you some get the mom you some get the sister you you know get a different version of us and so one size is not fit all of those, you know, mm-hmm. the way you need your child to love you is very different from the way you need your spouse to love you and the way you need your coworker to support you. Like, you know, yeah. those are very different elements. So, um, it's up to us to, to also foster and nurture that environment that we mm-hmm. want, you know, mm-hmm. manifest the things we want. It's very important. Yeah. 
I think that the 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 real the core here is for conflict resolution, whether it's internal or external. It, it's a lot of it's like being honest mm-hmm. and properly communicating what it is you're feeling. So if I am understanding, it's first you need to ask yourself like, okay, why am I reacting this way? What's going on inside? Like what is causing me to feel the feelings that I have and doing a little bit of introspection, which is work, but it's so worth it because you're worth the work, right? And then it's communicating those things out loud, um, whether it is with yourself taking a breath and saying, okay, you know what? I need to just today, let's just breathe. Let's just call it what it is. I feel anxious because I have this coming up and this presentation is really important to me and I care so much to do well. And it's my passion and my care that's making me anxious that that's what it is calling it out communicating with myself if it's external saying hey this happened i didn't really like it you know can we talk about it and i want to get your side too like what happened and i think what i'm hearing from you is you know there are steps and those steps start with a little bit of introspection and understanding who you are and where you're coming from and then if it is with another person you know understanding where they're coming from and giving them the space to communicate that with you as well. And then the third thing is like the, probably the hardest part is the work part, which is if it's for yourself, taking the steps and doing it. And if it's with others, it's saying, okay, well now I'm going to tell you what I need from you. Right. And, and help you give me the, the love or the support that I need in order for this conflict to go away. Actioning what you know is, the step a lot of people stop at. They'll do mm. all the work to acknowledge, to think through it. They'll spend all this time in their head, but then actioning what they know mm. to be the next right thing is the hardest, the hardest part. I think that in general, moving forward is the mm-hmm. hardest part, but y'all can do it. <laughs> y'all have the power to do it. It's just, so it's it what also, you said. We take it. In, we could take it in steps. Tiny, tiny it little do, steps. It doesn't have to be all of this at one time. It does no. not. It Just really a does little, not, yeah. little tiny, 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 tiny step is a big step already. So, you know, um, another thing I wanted to you know say right now before we like wrap up is, um, out of all of this, I hope that you know our listeners don't feel like you're in it by yourself. That, you know, since you introspection is a self thing and working on yourself is a self thing um, and moving forward is a self thing. But there are people around you that are part of your community or, you know, professionals that can help you and that can guide you and motivate you and empower you to do the introspection and to do the work. So I think it's really important for our listeners to know that asking for help is really important and you can do it. Whether it's interpersonal conflict and you need help learning how to deal with, you know, stuff that's going inside in a difficult situation, um, or you're dealing with someone outside, as you said, character to character, a different person or a different situation. You know, it asking for help is also really important. And I just want our listeners to know that, you know, people like Kelvia you know, she's a crisis counselor. She helps people. That's what she does. She has a studio where she allows people to come in and work out their 
their stuff, you know, and creates a space. So these spaces exist. These spaces are there. And um, I really want to take just a moment to encourage our listeners to know that you are not alone. You're not the only person in the world who's feeling horrible things. There's other people feeling horrible things and like build that community, talk to people because you guys might find that common ground and be able to encourage one another and also seek help um, if you need it from people like Helvia and, um, you know, do the best for you because you are so worth all of that. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to thank you so much. Yeah, I did want to add something. So I, I did like this the second time that you mentioned it, you're worth that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're worth the work. You're worth putting in the effort, you know, we'll put in effort for everyone else except for ourselves and mm. we'll ask for help. For everyone else, for our house, <laughs> hey, I need to bring a repairman. Can you help me fix this? For our car, hey, I need to, can you help me fix this? You know, or, you know what, I, I need to bring in a tutor because my kid needs help with this. Let's, let's work that out. We'll ask for, for help without feeling badly about it. But when it comes to ourselves, mm-hmm. to the house we live in every day, all day, our spirit inside, like our body, Right, our spirit is living in this 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 vessel. We struggle with that because mm. for whatever reason we feel that that is weakness, and mm. that's not the case. I, I mean, it's human it's human nature to not have all of life figured out, and this mm-hmm. has been done. Asking for help has been done for centuries. There was over back in the villages, there were elders that people would go to with, you know, was like, Oh, you, you have to go seek counsel from the elders, right? There was things that was <laughs> yeah. it's embedded in human nature. But mm. now that we're in this modern society, it's, Oh, I got it. I got it. <laughs> I got, I got it. I have to have it. Cause if I don't, then people will look at me or maybe I will feel some self shame. Sometimes I feel like it's not so much other people. It's how the self shame that we put upon ourselves mm-hmm. when asking for help, asking for help is not a bad thing. And I, I struggle with, um, with kind of helping people connect sometimes with that because I'm like, Mm -hmm. I, I really try to normalize it as much as possible (laughs) for like, okay, you would ask for help for when something's broken in your house to fix and you don't have no shame in doing that, but Mm -hmm. something is unbalanced in you and to talk about that, that's, you know, and this is your, the the most important house you're going to live in. Right. You could move tomorrow. You can't move out of here. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. Yeah. 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 So, you know, again, I really I'm going to hello listeners. Knock, knock. Listen, (laughs) ask for help when you need it. There are plenty of people out there who want to help you. And also this community that we're trying to build through STEAM, through this project, the STEAMinist, we're here too. and. Um, just remember to reach out because again, and I'll say this over and over again, you are worth it. L'Oreal sponsor us. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm serious. In, in all seriousness, you are worth the work. You are worth the help. You're worth the empathy. And there is someone out there who help, who will gladly and is willing to help you do all those things. So you're not alone. Okay. 
But again, Kelvia, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and getting to know you. And um, I hope like maybe I can come down to the studio one day and like we'd love to dancing. welcome you. Yes. <laughs> it will be it will be awkward, but it'll be yeah, fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> So that was part one of conflict resolution, dealing with internal conflict. I hope you are encouraged to do the next right thing for you, whether that's getting together with some friends, taking a dance class, or contacting a crisis counselor, or setting up an appointment with a therapist. Do what is right and needed for you. For resources from today's episode, check out our website and join us next week for part two of Conflict Resolution, Resolving External Conflict with our guest, Dr. Eunice Yuen. Steam the Podcast is brought to you by RSS.com. We're produced by Brian Kelly and Christina Cho with help from T. Badri, Naomi Phillip, Emily Chu, and Sandhya Pabakaran. Our engineer is Brian Kelly at Echo Station Studio, and original music is by David James Pugo. If you like Steam the Podcast, please share it with your friends. Let them know that they can subscribe to Steam the Podcast on RSS.com Community, the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Amazon Music, Samsung Podcast, Podcast Index, and Listen Notes. For resources and our directory of Steaminists, check out our website at projectsteamed.org. Thanks for listening and see you all next week.